0: Have you had your plans messed with this year? Had anything that you thought was going to happen but didn't? You thought was going to go a certain way but didn't? If you had one of those moments, how did you respond to that? Were you just calm, cool, and collected, you know, and didn't break a sweat? Or did you have some feelings about that? I, I think most of us have had a moment like that that we can remember. And, and whether or not you consider yourself a control freak or not, you probably had an affinity for that plan. You liked how that plan was, and then it changed. And, and this time of year, I, I find that, that a lot of us get attached to the way that we do things around the holiday season. We, we have our preferences and the things that we like and don't like. Over the last few weeks, I've gotten harassed because I hate eggnog. I think it tastes disgusting. I think it's the grossest thing ever. I would not want to drink it, but people call me Scrooge now because I don't like it. I also don't like peeps at Easter. I don't like candy corn at Halloween. I have one treat at every holiday that I'm against. It's just the way things are. That, that's me. Uh, but those are those are some traditions that people like, and people get attached to their traditions. I get attached to traditions. As a, as a kid, I can remember Christmas started we pulled the Christmas tree out of the attic and set it up. My mom was allergic to the real ones, so we always had a fake one. And I can just remember so many great memories as a kid, pulling out all of those favorite ornaments and hanging them up on a tree. And so when I left my house, became a grown-up, moved on my own. My mom, you know, boxed up all of my ornaments and gave them to me. And so every year I looked forward to pulling out all these ornaments from my childhood, seeing them all and putting them up. Until a couple years ago, my wife said, Hey, I don't want to have a tree this year. And I'm like... Excuse me? You don't want to have a tree. You know, we've got to have a tree. And so she said, well, I want to change things up. And I'm like, I'm not sure I'm liking this idea. And so I, I had this resistance to my plan and my traditions, you know, not happening that way. And so as she began to flesh out what she wanted to do, I had a thought. And many times in my marriage, that thought has come out of my mouth before I thought about it. But this time, this time I stopped myself because what I wanted to say was, don't mess with my Christmas. I wanted to like hold on to it and fight over it, but I stopped myself. And as I thought about that, that reaction to my plans and my traditions not happening the way that I wanted, I I thought about this this series that we're in and the story we're going to look at today. And here's the big idea that we're going to talk about if you're taking notes. When you follow Jesus, the way he will lead you won't be according to your plan. Now that's a, A fairly simple idea, but it is incredibly challenging to live out. And in the same way that I think a lot of us can remember a moment this year that didn't go according to plan, what I want to do today is talk to you about what happens in your relationship with God when things don't go according to plan. Because we're in a series this month called God With Us. We're talking about that reality, that principle of the incarnation that's a part of the Christmas story, God coming and being near us. And we said in week one that God can only meet us where we are, not where we wish we were. And So we started getting honest about where we were, because that's where God wants to meet us and be with us in this season. Last week, we said that God doesn't come near us just so we can know about him. He comes near us so we can know him personally. The The idea isn't that we're learning knowledge or information about God by him, but we're going to know him personally. And so today what I want to do is I want to share with you three truths about God messing with your plans. Because if you haven't had him mess with your plans this year— The good news is he still has 12 days left, so he's got time. And as you think about 2023, the one thing I can tell you about next year is you're going to make plans and then God's going to mess with them. So whether you need this for today or you need to save it for the future, I think there's some things that we could all glean from today. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew is the first book in the section of our Bibles we call the New Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. In Matthew 1, Luke 1, and John 1, we have those, those narratives, those accounts of the stories that are part of what we call the Christmas story. And in Matthew 1, one of the disciples of Jesus records the story he was told about the birth of Jesus, especially as it involves Joseph. And so if you don't have your Bible, Jacob's going to be advancing the verses on the screen. You can just follow along. Beginning in verse 18, this is what Matthew writes. He says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he'd considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us, which is where the whole title of the series comes from. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel had commanded him. He married Mary, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. Jesus, as we lean into this story today and we recognize the places where our plans aren't your plans. We pray that you would give us the grace to release the things we've been holding on to tightly and take a hold of the things that you are presenting to us. And in that process, as we struggle and fight, we pray that you'd meet us and do some great work. In your name we pray. Amen. I told you this morning I wanted to share with you three truths about what happens when God messes with our plans. And here's the first truth. We often resist God's plans when they contradict our plans. Again, we're not solving the theory of relativity here. We're not trying to put a man on the moon. This is a fairly simple concept, but I think it's important for us to think about because a lot of us, if we're followers of Jesus, if somebody asks us, hey, hypothetically, would you want what God wants and what God has planned for your life? We would say, yes, I want God's plans. I want God to do what he wants in my life. But then if the next stage was, well, what if that means that this is not going to happen or this is not going to happen or this isn't going to go the way that it's going to go. And that's when, the, that's when the resistance begins. That's when it shifts from being hypothetical great into when it's real. And one of the places that I find a lot of people have a hard time with the gap between their plans and how things actually go is weddings. We have terms for this. We talk about bridezillas and we talk about just the stress and the chaos of weddings. And and at the heart of the Christmas story is a wedding preparation story. Mary and Joseph are engaged and they're planning a wedding. Now, this is not like our weddings today. There was no wedding coordinator there was is probably just her mom. There was no wedding website. There was no wedding registry with that little gun at Target that you scan everything with. You know, th- there was no, no fights that often we have today. There was no wedding photographers or wedding videos. Not lot of things were different. But I have a sense that, that there was a plan for how that wedding was going to go. And it did not involve a pregnancy. And it did not involve a pregnancy where Joseph was not involved. And so that wedding plan begins to get messed up. And and typically Joseph's role, the man's role in this time, was a building project. If you were a a husband, a soon-to-be husband, you were building an extension on your parents' house that you would bring your wife into to live as a part of that same household because one day you would inherit that household. So in the midst of a building project and a wedding plan Joseph's plans get interrupted they get messed with and and we see in the story that he begins to resist it because it says once he discovers this he decides he's going to divorce her wedding's going to be canceled and in the same way that he resists what God is doing, I think we often resist what God is doing. We resist the changes. When, when a delay is, in a, is, is introduced and, hey, it's, the plan's going to happen, but it's going to take longer, or, you know what, the plan is not going to happen, or there's some element of disappointment that's involved, we resist those changes, we resist those emotions, we resist those things. I just want to ask you to pause for a second and think, not hypothetically, but in reality, how have you resisted the changes to the plans that you've made? How have you resisted the changes to to what you told God that, hey, this is how things are going to go? And God's like, well, actually, they're going to go this way. How have you resisted that? And I don't want us all to think that resistance is always bad or sinful. Sometimes the resistance comes from a good place. It isn't overtly sinful. It comes with a good motive. I mean, think about Joseph. Joseph's resistance was not overtly sinful. He was trying to be kind to Mary. In the day of of Joseph and Mary, if a soon-to-be bride was discovered to be pregnant, she could be stoned. And I'm not talking about a high I'm talking about rocks thrown at her until she stopped breathing. So when Joseph says in here that he didn't want to disgrace her publicly, i.e. stoning, and the text says that he decided to divorce her secretly, what Joseph's trying to do is resist the plan, but to be kind about it. And what we see in Joseph is what we see in us, that often when, when God's plans are different from ours, we begin to resist that contradiction. That's the first truth. The second truth is that in that moment, we're then invited to trust God in a new way as our plans break down. So when those plans were like, hey, no, no, I want my plan, and those plans you're holding on to begin to fall apart in your hands, there is an invitation to trust God in a way you never have before. You might say, well, I, I trust God. Well, now you're not going to trust God in a brand new way. You're going to trust God on a level you haven't before, in a a manner you haven't before. I mean, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You're living in a small town where everybody knows everything. That's the the good and the bad of small towns. You can't go anywhere without seeing anybody you know. And people know more than they probably should. And so Joseph thinks he's going to get married as as a teenager because that's their life. That's back then. And now he's going to have a baby before he gets married and that baby's not his and he's going to raise that baby i mean i don't know a single dad who felt ready to become a dad i surely didn't feel ready but if i've been told hey this this baby they're not ready to raise by the way it's going to be the son of god so good luck with adolescence, you know, and all the other things that come along with that. I mean, it's, it's challenging. He was going to have to trust God in a very different way. And that's why when we hear the phrase, God with us, I want you to remember that God with us means a very different life than the one that Joseph planned. He had his sense of how his life was going to go. And this one moment, this one event radically interrupted his plans and sent his life in a brand new direction. And there's a lot of us that say that, you know, we want God's purposes and plans for our life, but functionally what happens is we make our plans and then turn it out like a consultant and said, Hey, would you sign right here? Sign off on my plans? But that's not what happens. You have Joseph who has the life that he had planned, and then God goes, you have the life that you have planned, and you have the life that I'm offering you. Pick. Well, friends, what if God's presence with you meant you were going to have to significantly increase your trust in him? What if God with us at Christmas meant that we were going to have to not trust God a little bit more, but trust him in ways that we never had trusted him before? I can remember that it was pretty young, the very first time somebody told me that God had a plan for my life. I think it was the first time I started thinking about what I wanted to do for a career or a vacation or what I wanted to be when I grew up. And somebody said, you know what, Scott, God has a plan for your life. And that was warm. That was comforting. That was encouraging. Well, then I got to college and I graduated, like a lot of you graduated. And somebody probably told you when you're graduating, High school, college, you know, God has a plan for your life. Maybe you got married and, and somebody told you, you know, God has a plan for your life and for this marriage. But in each of those moments, you know what I know. That plan has not gone the way that you had planned. A lot of us end up doing things that we were not in school for. You got married and you thought you knew that person that you married and then you discovered that you didn't. Maybe you got married I thought you were going to be married for the rest of your life. And then you weren't. Maybe you had a sense of how that plan was going to go and it didn't turn out the way that you expected. I just want to remind you, based upon Joseph's story and everyone else in Scripture, that God's plans are not absent of pain and loss and grief and confusion and doubt and discomfort. So often when we say or people say to us, God has a plan for your life, the sense is that God's plan is going to insulate you and protect you and immunize you to anything hard, difficult, or discouraging. But what we see with Joseph's life is there was pain I mean, if I was engaged to my wife, if I think back to when that happened, and I learned that she was pregnant and I didn't remember that experience, the first one would probably be pain, confusion, doubt. So many of you right now are experiencing loss and discomfort, grief over the gap between the life that you had planned and the life that you're living. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. It just means that God's plan is a bigger umbrella than we've thought of before. Because when you choose to follow Jesus, the way he will lead you won't be according to your plan. And that's because he's leading, not you. You're the follower. You're not in charge. You're not the one making the plans. And as that happens, here's the third truth. We then are shaped by God as we surrender to what he's doing. As we surrender to this new plan, this new life that God's inviting us into, he begins to shape us as we surrender to him more and more and more. That's what happens to Joseph. Initially, he's like, hey, we're going to do the divorce thing. Then he has a dream. The angel shows up. The angel tells him, hey, this is what's really going on. And I'm going to invite you to trust God and follow him. And so it says that Joseph wakes up. It's a dream he'll never forget. Not a sleep he'll never forget. And so he goes and he marries Mary. He maintains their purity until she gives birth to Jesus. And then when the chance comes for him as the father in this society to name the baby, he names him Jesus. That's how we know that Joseph was surrendered to what God is doing because obedience is the evidence of our surrender. If you say, I want to be surrendered to God's plans. Okay, how much are you obeying God's plans that he's already revealed to you? I want want my life to be God's. I want to follow him. I really want him to be be the one in charge of my life. I trust him. Okay, how much are you obeying and taking steps in light of what he's already showed you or called you to do? And it's as we take those steps of obedience that God shapes us. Because at the end of the day, when, when God comes to be with us, Emmanuel, like the verse talked about, There's a purpose behind it. It isn't just so that you feel good or you feel God's presence. The purpose of God with us is to make us like Jesus. That's why he came. Jesus came to make you look like Jesus if Jesus was you. With your name, living your life in the midst of everything that you're facing. And so what that means is that in those moments when we have a gap between the life that we thought and the life that's being offered us our plans, and God's plans, we can either fight that shaping, or we can surrender to it. We can fight and hold on to the life that we wanted, that we had, or we can surrender to the life that that God's offering us. And that's often noisy, messy, loud. There's snot and tears and yelling and screaming and all sorts of noise. But it's as we surrender to God being with us that he begins to shape and mold us into the people he's made us to be. And that can be really easy to be a topic that's way up here and spiritual and ethereal. I'm gonna make it real for you today. And I'm gonna invite a friend out to share her story of what that's looked like for her. Would you welcome my friend Jen Myers right now? Hey, friend.
1: Hey. Hi, everybody.
0: This is Jen. Jen has served on our staff for about eight to ten years, most of your time here at Cornerstone. Most Sundays, you're with our kids, uh, six months through fifth grade, Mm -hmm. uh, including my kids. Thank you for that. You're so Um, welcome. (laughs) They're at extra work sometimes. Um, And your husband, Steve, is in the back. He's running audio most Sundays. Um, And I've gotten to know you over my six-plus years here. And Mm -hmm. um, I knew a lot of pieces of your story, but a lot of them not with great depth. And um, a few months ago, we took some time, as our staff was meeting every week, to just give people a chance to share parts of their stories people didn't know. Mm-hmm. So you went first. You were, you were bold like that. And you shared a story that I'd only known pieces of. You shared it at great length. Mm-hmm. And um, as I was working on this message and this series and wanting to include people's stories, uh, yours came to mind. And so you were very gracious to say yes and to share. And I appreciate that. Thank you. So I- I'd love for you to start by talking about when you and Steve <laughs> decided to try and have children.
1: Okay, we got married in 1992. We celebrated our 30th anniversary this year.
0: Congratulations!
1: Thank you. And we waited about four years to have kids, and decided eh, it's probably a good time to start having kids. So, um, got pregnant very quickly, and got pregnant with our son. Um, went through a great pregnancy. Nine months, wasn't sick. Um, work, I was teaching at the time. Um, working, just had a really, really textbook easy pregnancy. Um, until his due date. He was due on February 10th. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night on a Sunday night and was just bleeding just profusely. Blood was just everywhere. And um, first baby, we didn't think a whole lot of it. We're like, well, maybe we should, you know, go to the hospital. And um, and on the way to the hospital, my bleeding had stopped, which we thought, well, maybe it's something's just off or whatever. Got to the hospital. They took their time examining. Um, all of a sudden, I had this severe pain, and the doctor looked at me, and I knew something wasn't right. She said, um, we need to do an C-section now. We need to do emergency C-section right now. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, that, just that thought in your head. And um, So from the labor and delivery room, heart, his heart rate was really strong. Um, he seemed to be doing really well. From the labor and delivery room to the operating room, um, he died. And they did the C-section. They got him out. They're doing CPR on him. We're, we're listening to him, them trying to bring him back, and and they could not. Um, my placenta had erupted, and um, he just lost complete oxygen.
0: His name was Tyler. His
1: name was Tyler, Tyler James.
0: He would have been 26.
1: Would have been 26 this February. Hmm. Yep, like it was yesterday.
0: Yeah. Um, so when you think back, Jen, to those <clears throat> days and the grief mm-hmm. that you felt um, and the emotions that you were going through, if you'd sat in a room like this and somebody had talked to you about God with us, mm-hmm. what, what do you think your reaction would have been like or your thought process would have been or your unfiltered response?
1: <laughs> My unfiltered. <laughs> um, I... I really struggled with my faith after that. I really struggled with God. And my, my, my argument he and I had was, are you kidding me? This is the thanks that I get for serving, for serving you all the days of my life. This is the thanks that I get. So he and I would go back and forth on, on that. And, um, God with me at that time was he would just wrap me up like Abba, like my Abba father, like my daddy, and just let me be a brat and just let me, so just let me process through that as he's just hugging me and as he's right there and he never, ever let go of me. As, as bratty as I was and as the questions and, and questioning who, who you really are, he was just right there. So God, God with me was literally God with me.
0: He told me that in those days it was it was like he was breathing for you mm-hmm. because you weren't even sure you could take your next breath or make it to the next minute.
1: Yep. yeah. Yeah. Often, oftentimes, I would ask him. I'm like, Lord, I don't think I can. I don't. I know that I can't get through this, without you. You're gonna have to help me with my next breath. You're gonna have to help me with the next step. You're gonna have to. And he was. He was. He was right there.
0: One of the challenges in those days wasn't just the grief that you were experiencing. It was you and Steve as a couple.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you. Your phrase to me was, uh, at one point, I wasn't sure we were gonna make it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Eighty-five percent of marriages don't survive the death of a child. And and we we saw we saw that. We grieved very differently. Um he grieved in his own way, I grieved in my own way. He's very quiet. I'm not, you know, just um and he just dove back into work and I dove back into work and we were opposites. We weren't on the same page, we couldn't get together, you know. Um I wanted him to fix it because he was always able to fix things in my life, and he couldn't fix this. I, I couldn't fix this. And we um, had gone on a marriage retreat knowing we desperately needed help or we were not going to make it. Went on a marriage retreat. We were able to get some tools of how to navigate through this, this horrific grief and um, just made the decision, we're, we're going to make it. We're going to do this no matter, how, no matter how hard it is.
0: One of the other pivotal moments you said was your mom came to visit you and you had a conversation that opened up a, a new path for you mm-hmm. uh, in your relationship with God.
1: Yeah, she came and stayed with us the week after he had died and just helped around the house. And and I remember looking at her and I said, I have to get into a Bible study. I, I have, this is, this is going to bury me. That's what I said. I said, I have to. And so that day we went downtown and it's when the Christian bookstores were still open and I got a um, Bible study. It's K. Arthur's study called "Lord Heal My Hurt," and went through Psalm 119 and and just um, learned the the healing that is in God's Word, and learned that this is this is the only way that's going to change this and that's going to heal this. And, and and I just dove into God's Word, and that and and, and I tell people that started my absolute love affair with God's word that is, is still today. Oftentimes I would take my Bible at night and I would put it on top of my head because I just couldn't, I couldn't read, I couldn't focus and it just, and I knew that it would just infiltrate my mind and, and it did and I, and I love God's word.
0: As, as God worked, you were able to get pregnant again mm-hmm. and you had Shelby Ray mm-hmm. and you really get pregnant again and you had Riley mm-hmm. and then in 2010, you had another major health scare.
1: Yeah. I had a um, pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in my lung. No rhyme or reason for it. I was young. I was healthy. There was n- no reason, just kind of out of the blue. And along that medical journey of a couple years of trying to figure out what was going on with my body, um, I had finally met with my pulmonologist, and um, he said he diagnosed me with a blood clotting disorder, um, which is full circle, the reason why my placenta had erupted during labor. It was, it was the blood clotting disorder.
0: Um, and he told you something that, that was really powerful?
1: He did. He said, he's looking at my chart, and he said, um, I see that you lost your firstborn, and I said, we did. And he said, you didn't go on to have any more children, did you? And I said, oh, yeah, we did. I said, we have two perfectly healthy daughters. And, and he said, you never should have had them. Your body never should have been able to have those girls. And they are two of our biggest blessings, and what a gift that that they are. And after that appointment, I went into my car and just sobbed because I thought, Lord, you're so good. You're so good to to give us, and we've always known that they were just a gift, that they were loaned to us, and that they were a a, a true gift. Even when they're a pain in the butt, they're a gift.
0: (laughs) You also, in those days, discovered something that Tyler gave you as his final gift when, during that pregnancy when he flipped around.
1: Mm-hmm. So I had mentioned earlier that on the way to the hospital, my bleeding had stopped. And he had flipped um, so that he was head first. So um, from, he... Was he butt first? Butt first. Yeah, butt first. So when he had flipped, he had stopped my bleeding. And the doctors had told me had he not flipped, I would have bled to death on the way from the house to, to the hospital. So, um, oftentimes during those days, I would tell Steve, I'm like, I just, I would have given my life for him in a heartbeat. I would have given my life for him. And, and Steve would say, but I'm glad you didn't. Not that that was my choice or Mm -hmm. anything, but he, I feel like he saved my life Mm -hmm. during, during that time.
0: So Jen, as you think back over the last 25 years, those highs of, of the birth of Shelby Ray and Riley and those lows of those deep, deep places of grief, and you look back now mm-hmm. at God with us. How do you see that differently than you saw it back then when you were in the throes of it?
1: Um, just knowing, hindsight 2020, knowing he has never left me. He has never left my side. When I was thrown a fit, when I was grieving so deeply that I couldn't form a sentence, he never, ever left me, and he will never leave me. And I know that God, God is always with me and, um, he, he's not going anywhere. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Amen. Well, there was two things you wanted to share. I made sure made note of it that we got to, there was a, a lyric from a song and there was a passage of scripture.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, the goodness of God's one of my favorite songs and all my life, you have been faithful all my life. You have been so, so good. And looking back over my life, he has always been faithful. And he has always been so, so good, and he will always be so, so good. No matter the grief that comes in, no matter the loss that comes in, he is a good God. My dad used to say, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. No matter what we're feeling, because those lie. Those, our feelings lie to us.
0: And there's a passage of scripture that you wanted to read as well. Yep.
1: Psalm 116, um, 7 through 9. Return to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For thou hast rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I shall walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And I am living today because of him and because of what he has done.
0: I I included it with your slide here, a picture of a rose bush. You guys moved into a new home this year, Mm -hmm. uh, but the home that you lived in through that whole story um we're outside you planted the rose bush, mm-hmm. uh as a memorial and a memory to, to tyler mm-hmm. uh, and what i'm so grateful for is that because of you surrendering to him he has continued to bring out of winter spring yeah he has brought things to life mm-hmm. um and you're being shaped by him in a really powerful way because of that so thanks for being willing to be honest and to be used by him thank you you're welcome appreciate it It's uh, hard to follow a moment like that, but I'm going to do my best. Um, and I want to encourage you to take some steps in the same way that Jen has modeled for us. And so these are on the back of your handout if you want to give that a look before we close today. Uh, we call these next steps because they're invitations to take an action based upon what we've heard today. And the first one is this. I want to encourage you today to name the ways that your plans are being messed with in this season. How, how is God like that... Um, snow globe, shaking things up and messing with how you thought they were going to go. And I find that once I can name those, I can begin to deal with them. But until I name them, those feelings are all jumbled up in me. And so putting a name on it is the beginning of that process. The second thing I want to invite you to do is to identify the places and the ways that God is inviting you to trust him more. So often trusting God is this kind of out there idea, but, but what are the places in your life and what are the specific ways he's inviting you to trust him and, and surrender more and more to him? And then third, I wanna encourage you to take your next step of obedience. If at some point over the last 35 or 40 minutes, you felt God begin to impress something on your heart, I'd encourage you, don't delay that. Don't make excuses. It's never gonna get easier than it is right now. You're never gonna feel more momentum than you feel right now. And the way that you show your surrender to him is by following him in trust and obedience. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this moment that uh, we experienced uh, with Jen being honest and sharing how she experienced you with her in the midst of the throes of one of the hardest things anybody can go through, losing a child. And I just pray for the people who are in this room right now who are in in the middle of one of those moments where they're watching their plans slide away and they're watching your plans unfold in a way that they did not expect. I pray that the same thing that you were to Jen, you would be to them. I pray that you would uh, wrap them with your presence. You'd give them your grace and your mercy to take their next step or their next breath. I pray that you'd be powerfully present and real to them in these days and that you might sustain them and they might might lean on you with trust in a way that, that would expand their appreciation, their wonder, their relationship with you. For the people who are here or who are watching or listening, who are fighting against you, that are struggling and they're holding on to that thing that they thought was going to happen or that plan they thought was going to transpire or the way that they thought things were going to go, I pray that they would would hear the words of, of that song, that you're good, that you're faithful, that you can be trusted and that you might begin to give them the grace to unclench their fists and open their hands. And for the rest of us who, who may not be in one of those places right now, I pray that you would give us eyes to see those that we love that are in those places, that you give us the empathy, the compassion, the care to come alongside them as good friends that would just listen and grieve and cry with, that wouldn't bring all the answers, but would bring our presence as an expression of your presence and walk with them. God, I don't know all the plans that you have for each of us. I don't even know the plans you have for me. But I trust that you're with us and that what you're doing is, it's for our good, it's for your glory, and we're so grateful that you're faithful. We pray that you meet us and you do a great work in us.
1: In your name we pray, Jesus, amen.